Well, good evening. It is an absolute joy and privilege and pleasure to be here with you all tonight. I um, absolutely love Desert Springs Church. And I am so, so, so grateful to God for this uh, local family of believers. And I am so grateful to God to be friends with you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It is great, great, great to be here. Uh, tonight, we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 26, verses 17 to 29. So let me encourage you to take your Bibles out. Uh, I think it'll be rolling on the screens behind us, uh, but it'd be good for you to have your Bibles out as well. Uh, we'll hit a few different passages in the Bible along the way. And uh, so if you'd open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 29, uh, a passage referred to as uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper uh, by the Lord Jesus himself. That's where we're going to camp out for a little while. So let me pray for us, and then I'll read the passage, and then we'll tuck in together. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you so very much that this is love. Not that we loved you at all, uh, because we didn't. Uh, we lived without reference to you. We lived far away from you. We lived in rebellion against you, in high treason with a high hand. So thank you that this is love, not that we loved you, but that you loved us and sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. We praise you that Jesus has paid our debt in full in our place as our substitute. And we praise you and we thank you that because of Jesus and his death on the cross in our place, we belong to you. We pray that you would encourage our hearts with that great news as we study your word together now and we pray that you would help us to understand your word more clearly and to rejoice in it more fervently and to be glad to go and tell the world about Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So if you've got your Bibles open, Matthew 26, 17 to 29, let me read it for us. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. 
The son of man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take Eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Uh, so let's establish where we're at in the book. So far, we're towards the end of the gospel according to Matthew. This is the final section of the book of Matthew. And this passage, 26, 17 to 29, is all about belonging. That if we trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, we belong to God. Or as we're assembled for the Lord's Supper together tonight, we could say it this way. As those who trust in Jesus and his death on the cross in our place, we belong to God. So we're coming towards the end of the gospel, according to Matthew, and all the way along his gospel account, Matthew's aim has been to show that Jesus is God's long-promised king. Jesus is God's long-promised king who has come to establish his kingdom. And the way that Jesus establishes his kingdom is through the cross. So that a person becomes a member of that kingdom and belongs to God only by believing in Jesus and his death on the cross. Matthew's been telling us all the way through the book that Jesus is the king, the promised king, the king of God's choosing. And he's been telling us all the way through the book that Jesus came to die in the place of sinful people so that we could be forgiven and rescued and restored to right relationship with God now and forever. So Jesus is the promised king, the one who establishes the kingdom and the one who establishes the kingdom through the cross. So that as those who trust in him and his finished work on the cross, we belong to God. In other words, as those who trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can be safe. We can be safe when we take shelter under the blood of Jesus. And more than that, we can be sure that we are safe. We can be sure that we are safe when we shelter under the blood of Jesus. And the passage that we're studying here together this evening shows us that very clearly. So we're going to look at the passage under three headings and unpack that in a little bit more detail. Number one, Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born to die. Number two, his death rescues rebels like me and like you. And number three, his death establishes an eternal relationship 
with him now and forever. Jesus to find eternal life this way, knowing him, knowing God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now and forever. So eternal life is defined in the Bible qualitatively and quantitatively. It's defined as knowing God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, intimate relationship with him now and forever and ever and ever and ever and being with him in eternal bliss in heaven. So let's jump in. Number one, Jesus was born to die. The meal that the disciples are asking about and preparing for in verses 17 to 19 is the Passover meal. Just go back to verses 17 to 19 and look how many times the word Passover shows up. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have for us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. So the Lost Supper was a Passover meal. And in it, Jesus carefully takes charge of this Passover meal and brings the events of his death, which incidentally, he was, going to, he was going to do the very next day, right? In the progress of Matthew's gospel, right? Jesus is going to die the very next day. And in this meal, he carefully takes charge and brings the events of his death right into the heart of the Passover meal. Showing that the events of the Passover were all pointing to his death on the cross. Were all pointing to the very thing that he was about to do the very next day. The very mission that he was about to fulfill and complete. The Passover in the Old Testament pointed forward to a greater and better rescue in God's promised king, the Lord Jesus. It's clear from verses 17 to 19 that Passover is at the forefront of what is going on. In verse 17, the disciples come to Jesus asking, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And then in verse 18, Jesus tells them to go to this man and to tell him that Jesus says, I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And then again in verse 19, the disciples who do as Jesus directed them prepared the Passover. So three times in as many verses, the Passover is mentioned. So we're meant to be thinking Passover. As we read about this, we're meant to be thinking about the Passover. And then Jesus links it directly to his own death. That's the significant piece in this as he redefines the Passover meal. Now remember, the Passover meal was celebrated once a year as a reminder that God had rescued his people from bondage. God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. God had rescued his people out of the house of slavery. God had rescued his people out of the land of Egypt. So the Passover was all about being purchased by God at a price for the purpose of being his possession. Did you get all the P's in there? Let me say it again, just in case. The Passover was all about being purchased by God at a price 
the price of the lamb at a price for the purpose of being God's possession. So it was all about belonging to God. And it all pointed forward to the greater and better rescue that Jesus accomplished by his death on the cross. Jesus' long-promised, long-planned death on the cross was the one and only way to establish his kingdom. And it was the one and only way to accomplish the rescue of his people. That's why when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and his sweat is like drops of blood, right? To show the agony of what's going in there. And he's praying, Lord, if this cup can pass from me. In essence, what Jesus is praying in the garden there is, Father, if we can do this whole getting your people back thing in a different way, let's do that. Right? Right? He's agonizing about the death he's about to die. And he's praying, Father, if we can get your people back doing something else, let's do something else. But not my will, your will be done. It's why when Jesus comes to the end of that uh, praying in the garden, he goes to the cross with resolve. Right? He's known all along and he is resolved that this is the only way to get God's people back. The one and only way to establish his kingdom, the one and only way to accomplish the rescue of his people was to go to the cross. As we see in the next part of the passage under our second heading, his death rescues. Jesus was born to die. That's why he came, uh, to lay down his life, a ransom for many. And his death rescues. So Jesus links the Passover with his death in verses 20 to 25. And he links the Passover with his death by solemnly talking about his betrayal. Because he's betrayed unto death. So in verse 21, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And in verse 23, he says, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And again, in verse 24, he says, woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. And finally, in verse 25, Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. So now the Passover is directly linked to Jesus' death by talking about the betrayal that Judas was about to do. So right away, Jesus' death is right at the heart and the center of the meal. That's what Jesus is doing in taking control of this Passover meal. Putting his death right in the center of it so that his disciples can understand what he's come to do. When Jesus says in verse 23 that the one who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me, he's simply showing that his betrayer is a friend, someone close to him, 
Someone who is sharing the common dish with them. And it highlights the enormity of the betrayal. Judas has been in the disciple band, hasn't he? He's the keeper of the purse. He's been there. He's walked with Jesus. He's talked with Jesus. He's broken bread with Jesus. Now he's sharing the Passover meal and it highlights the enormity of the betrayal. Now, of course, there had to be a Judas, didn't there? There had to be a Judas. Why do we know that? Because verse 24 says that the son of man goes as it is written of him. There had to be a Judas. God told us in his word that there would be a Judas who would betray Jesus. The necessity of Jesus' death was grounded in the word of God. But that does not in any way excuse Judas of his betrayal. Don Carson says it this way, divine sovereignty and human responsibility are both involved in Judas' treason. The one affecting salvation and bringing redemption history to its fulfillment, that's God's sovereignty, the other answering the promptings of an evil heart, human responsibility. The one results in salvation from sin for Messiah's people. The other in personal and eternal ruin. So Judas' attempt at deception in verse 25 is of no use at all. His betrayal is in the open and the stage is set now for Jesus' death. The son of man, you see that wonderful title uh, Jesus uses of himself that we see at a number of places through the Bible. Verse 24, the son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So the son of man on the one side, the glorious Messiah, the anointed one, the promised king, is at one and the same time the suffering servant from Isaiah. The suffering servant who establishes the kingdom by his death on the cross. The death of Jesus accomplishes the rescue of his people. He was born to die, dying in the place of the many and assuring us as his people of rescue. The death of Jesus accomplishes the rescue of his people. The death of Jesus establishes a relationship between him and his people. And the death of Jesus assures or guarantees the reception of his people in his father's kingdom. And that is why his death is the fulfillment of the true meaning of the Passover feast. Why Jesus' death is the fulfillment of what the Passover feast was meant to point forward to. And that's what Jesus' 
very clearly goes on to show under our third heading. Jesus' death establishes an eternal relationship between God and his people. In the Lost Supper, which we now have as the Lord's Supper, which we get to share in together tonight as followers of Jesus, as those who trust and treasure Jesus, uh, Jesus redefined the Passover meal. He does it in a way that links it with redemption history and in a way that shows his greater and better act of redemption. So as we have seen already, the association of the Lost Supper with the Passover is clear and obvious. In fact, the supper is only understood properly with the Passover. And so by God's sovereign hand and for God's sovereign purpose, our Lord Jesus was crucified at just the right time. <laughs> and here in the context of this passage, he was crucified at the time of the Passover. And it was at the Passover meal that the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. So drop down now to verse 26. Now as they were eating, so they're eating the meal now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So Jesus uses the elements of the Passover meal, the bread and the wine as symbols, pointing to the sacrificial death that he was about to die for the many that he came to redeem. Remember, Jesus says in Mark's gospel, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Here in the context of the Lord's Supper, Jesus says in verse 27, he takes the cup when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is pointing to the sacrificial death. He's using these symbols of bread and wine to point to the sacrificial death that he was about to die for the many that he came to redeem. But the words he uses, this is my body and this is my blood, were not part of the language in the Passover ritual at all. And they point to the horrible and violent death that Jesus was about to die in the place of sinful people. Now, of course, Jesus does not mean here his literal body or his literal blood. He's sitting right there with his disciples when he says this. He uses the bread and the wine as symbols to show the horrible and violent death that he's going to die. And so he doesn't mean his literal body or his literal blood here. 
He's sitting right there with his disciples when he's saying these things. And in other parts of the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as the gate. And nobody actually thinks of Jesus as a wooden structure with hinges that swings out on a fence. He's not talking about his literal body and blood at all. He's describing the violent and sacrificial death that he's about to die, the event through which he saves his people from their sins. Now remember, the Passover in the Old Testament commemorated the great deliverance of God's people out of Egypt. And it commemorated the covenant instituted at that time between God and his people. God was bringing the final plague, the death of the firstborn. And he told his people to gather in homes and to kill the unblemished lamb and to take some of the blood and to put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the house so that when he passed through the land of Egypt in judgment, executing his judgments, he would pass over the homes with blood on the doorposts and the lintel, and all in that home would be sheltered under the blood and would be delivered. I'm going to leave it to you to... Uh, read all of Exodus chapter 12 uh, later on tonight or tomorrow or at some point in the week to get a sense of this. But do just flip over to Exodus chapter 12 and let me read the first 13 verses for you so we can remind ourselves of these things. Exodus chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. It's on page 53 in my Bible, which could potentially be the Bible that you have. <laughs> if not, it's on some other page. <laughs> Exodus 12, beginning at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if that household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb." Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or, or boiled in water, but roasted. 
its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. What's the Lord about to do? Rescue them from the land of slavery. And they need to be ready for it. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. When the Lord strikes the land of Egypt in judgment and rescues his people in the midst of it. It can be helpful to, uh, for us, I think, to think about this in, um, in terms of the oldest son, the oldest male. I have seven children, and my oldest son is called Isaac. Uh, so I like to think of this uh, through the lenses of, of Isaac. Um, on the Passover night, uh, when I uh, bathe all the children and get them all ready to climb into bed, and uh, my wife's downstairs washing the dishes and cleaning up after the supper, and uh, we put them all to bed, and, and my wife and I are just puttering around downstairs, and the eldest son, uh, about an hour later, after we've put them all to bed, uh, comes downstairs, you can hear him walking down the stairs, walks into the front room and says, uh, Dad, have you, uh, have you done that thing with the blood yet? No, son, no, we haven't done it yet, but we'll do it, we'll do it. Don't you go off to bed. You're supposed to be in bed. Uh, so he walks upstairs again and gets into bed put around and do a few other things, watch a little show. About an hour later, step, 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 down the steps, comes walking into the front room. Dad, did you, uh, did you do that blood thing yet? Yeah, the whole blood on the doorpost and the lintel. Yeah, you know what I mean? You put, yeah, we're covered by the blood. No, nah, not yet, son, not yet. But I'll do it. I'll do it. Go up to bed. Then uh, we're making sure that the doors are all locked tight, the windows are closed, everything's shut up for the night, and uh, it's getting later. And what do we hear? These footsteps coming down the stairs again. Dad, have you done the blood thing? No, son, I haven't, but I will go to bed. And then the blood is on the doorpost and the lintel as we walk up to bed and tuck Isaac in and say what? We're covered by the blood. We've done it. 
It's on the doorposts and the lintels. What's the eldest son able to do that night? Sleep well. What are you and I able to do as those who trust and treasure Jesus? Sleep well. We're covered by the blood. We're covered by the most precious blood of the Lord Jesus. Right? Remember what Peter tells us. We haven't, uh, we haven't been purchased by silver or gold, but by the most precious blood of the Lord Jesus. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. Well, Jesus is saying here that there is another Passover, another lamb, another deliverance. He is saying that that Passover foreshadowed him. He's saying that that Passover was a shadow and that Jesus himself is the substance. Remember, that's how Paul talks about things in Colossians chapter 2, right? All of these things that came before, that the false teachers are telling the Colossian Christians to run back to. All of those things that came before, they are the shadow, but Jesus is the substance, they all point forward to him and he is the fulfillment of all of them. And that's what Jesus is doing here, instituting the Lord's Supper in this context. He's saying the Passover was the shadow and I am the substance. That's what Jesus is indicating and illustrating in the Lord's Supper. In the Passover, the lamb died as a substitute in the place of the people. The people sheltered safely under the blood of the lamb. And Jesus, who has already identified himself as the lamb, links himself directly to the lamb and shows that what the lamb had provided for them, then Jesus provides now for his people. Jesus is the lamb, our representative and substitute, the one who died in our place and we are safely sheltered under his blood by faith in his death on the cross. As those who believe who Jesus is, that he is the God man and those who believe what Jesus has done died on the cross in the place of sinners to pay the price that we deserve for our sin. The Lost Supper restates the basis of the covenant because Jesus' death provides the basis of forgiveness of sin and of fellowship with God. Therefore, it is only at the cross that we can be God's children and that, we, that he can be our God. And wonderfully, what this passage proclaims to you and I as those in Jesus is that because of him and his finished work on the cross, we are the children of God and he is our father. It's only by Jesus' death, by the pouring out of his blood, that he will save his people from their sins, that he will rescue us from judgment, 
that he will rescue us from the wrath of God. The way that Jesus has rescued us from the wrath of God is by drinking the cup of God's wrath in our place on the cross. And therefore, by doing that in our place, he restores us to right relationship with him. And we have blessed assurance. He's done it. As we just sang a few moments ago, he has paid our debt in full. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. By shedding his most precious blood on the cross. What assurance. You see, this is why Exodus 24 verses 1 to 11 talks so much about blood. Just flip back to Exodus again, or if you're still there, go to chapter 24. Exodus 24. I'm going to read verses 1 to 11 for us. And just take note of how much blood there is. Page 64 in my Bible, Exodus 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, And all the rules and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Do you see the movement of that passage there? The people go from being far away from God to being near to God through the shedding of blood. Verse five says, and he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. There are all of these animals being sacrificed and all of this blood being thrown all over the place, including on the people. It was through the shedding of blood that the people had peace with God. 
And all of this is a shadow. It is a type pointing forward to Jesus, the greater and better deliverer, who by his death in our place accomplished the long promised rescue of his people and established a relationship with God for his people and actually guarantees a reception in heaven for his people when all God's people will gather with him in his kingdom. Flip back to Matthew 26 now and look at verse 29 as we finish up. This is how Jesus finishes here. I tell you, I will not drink. Now just get the assurance of this. Let this just be balm to your soul. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Jesus' death in our place accomplished the long promised rescue of his people. As those in Jesus, we are rescued. We are redeemed. We belong to God. We are in right relationship with him and we are guaranteed with blessed assurance our reception in heaven where we will drink anew with Jesus this drink in the Father's kingdom. So the Lord's Supper, as we come to it tonight, the Lord's Supper points backward and forward. The Lord's Supper points us backward to what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, that we do this uh, in remembrance of him. We remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross in our place and the fact that we belong to him because of his finished work on the cross and the Lord's Supper points us forward uh, that we will be with him forever and ever and ever. It's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 goes on to say uh, that uh, as we do it, we proclaim his death until he comes again because Jesus is coming again to get us and to take us to be with him forever. We become part of God's people. We belong to him by believing in Jesus and his death on the cross in our place. Jesus died for us. That's the banner over us, right? The gospel tells us that Jesus died for us, not that we die for him. You see, that's the mistake that Peter and the other disciples are making in verse 35 of Matthew 26, isn't it? Right? Just after this, when Jesus has uh, foretold Peter's denial, said uh, to Peter, uh, you're going to deny me three times. In verse 35, Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And this is a part of that verse that we often miss out. And all the disciples said the same. Right? Peter and the disciples are saying, Jesus, I'm going to die for you. And Jesus is saying to him, to them, 
And to us, no, 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 no. You're not going to die for me. I'm going to die for you. The gospel is not that we are going to die for Jesus. The gospel is that Jesus has died for us. And so we trust him and his finished work and we thank him. So before we go to the Lord's Supper, let's thank him together now, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you so very much for Jesus. We thank you, uh, Lord Jesus, that you lived the perfect life that we uh, should have lived in our place and that you died the death that we deserve to die. Uh, We praise you uh, that because of who you are and because of what you have done in our place on the cross, uh, that we belong to you. And we just give you all the thanks and all of the praise and all of the glory. And we pray that we would rejoice in the salvation that you have so graciously accomplished and so graciously given to us uh, as we share in the Lord's Supper together tonight. And uh, that we would go our way rejoicing in you, Jesus and proclaiming you to a lost world. In your name we pray, amen.